1: All right, we're now joined by Elliot Chris, the Chief Operating Officer of FDN, Network for Fantasy, Sports Gambling, NFL Analysis. We used to live a couple blocks away from each other, actually, in Montclair, New Jersey. We were both big-time fans of Stuffed Burgers, restaurant out there in Montclair. But I will say this, Elliot, and I know it might be blasphemous-sounding to you, but I actually think Diesel and Duke made the better burger. i got to be honest, I'm a big fan of their style of cooking the burgers, the Smash style. Always going to go for that first, but if you want to trash that take, go ahead. Tell everybody where they can find your work, anything else you want to promote. How are you doing today, Elliot?
2: I'm doing well. I, I don't want to trash Diesel and Duke. I actually went to high school with both um, both guys who opened up those restaurants. Stuffed Burger is where I met my fiancé, so that is going to be the, the victory for me no matter what, um, on top of the fact that I think they make great burgers. But uh, it, to me, it's more do you want to... Gourmet burger, or do you kind of want more of a high-end fast food burger? Yes. Um, and that's that's really the the situation. But I'm doing fantastic. We're a week away from the NFL draft. Uh, it's we have more betting opportunities today than we've ever had on the NFL draft. So many different uh, ways to to bet on it. So it's really exciting. Um, I appreciate you guys giving me this platform and and being able to hop on. And all my work can be found on ftnbets.com, where I wrote up. No, all my favorite plays and everything is completely free, so check it out on ftmbets.com. dot com.
3: All right, yeah, everyone, head on over there. So, Elliot, we want to ask you and we want to start by really getting into the odds of the Giants' first pick at number eleven. Are there any odds or trends or anything you've noticed that would suggest to you that they might be leaning towards one player or one position specifically?
2: Yeah, so it's interesting. Right now I just pulled up that MGM as you asked the question and The Giants are plus 240 to draft a receiver, plus 275 to draft an offensive lineman, plus 350 to draft a linebacker. And then it's plus 400 for defensive lineman, plus 600. Uh, And just in case anyone isn't familiar with what odds mean. So basically, if I say plus 240, it means if you risk 100, you'd win $240 on top of getting your additional $100 back. So it's not like there's a heavy favorite right now for what the position is. In terms of the most likely player across the board, it's actually Devonta Smith. He's as low as plus 225 in different places. So um, a couple of the other guys for the Giants are, um, uh, excuse me, Mika Parsons is a guy that gets talked there. I really don't see that happening. Uh, Jalen Waddell is a guy that gets talked there. Uh, Rashawn Slater, if he falls, potentially Vera Tucker or if if they want to go that direction, um, I think the Giants are such an interesting team when it comes to betting on the NFL draft because they're probably the least likely team to move uh, outside of the, the top three picks in the draft. I guess I would include the Bengals, too, just because it's Dave Gettleman's philosophy, right? So the one nice thing about betting on the Giants' overall pick is that you know that it's going to be at, at pick 11.
1: Yeah, I think that's spot on, and I think you mentioned the Bengals and Duke Tobin over there they also don't trade out of that pick so I think overall I'm with you on this I feel like this is the least I've known about what I think the Giants are going to do in years it just seems to be I mean we I made the prediction in January they're going to take Devontae Smith at that pick he has Dave Gettleman written all over him but I also think there's a chance he won't be there and then that kind of adds a little bit more flux into the situation and now it seems like they're really hell-bent on these this edge rusher position and even today in the the press conference with Dave Gettleman and Chris Pettit Chris Pettit said I do believe that you would be getting value by taking an edge rusher at 11 I do believe an edge rusher is one of the 11 best players in the class This is something I personally don't subscribe to or believe in but it's something they said so it's something to consider but I wanted to get your thoughts also on the number three overall pick because that that's probably the most interesting pick I think for fans to bet right now. You can't really bet 1 or 2 at this point. The odds are stacked in the favor of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson and I mean, you could I guess go out on a limb and say the Jets might do something else, but that seems stupid. But that overall that third pick is pretty interesting right now. So, where where do you see the value there with that third over pick? Is there any is there any play you would make right now based yeah. on value? Yeah, well,
2: first with the Giants, I think that's a great call. That means I mean, you can make an argument that Phillips is a top 11 player in this draft if he had a clean bill of health, mm-hmm. right? And obviously pay is the other option there at 11 overall. Um, in terms of the third overall pick, is this good Lord, does this number move? If we had a yeah. show two days ago where we would talk about how Justin Fields was the betting favorite and Mac Jones was plus 150 and now Mac Jones is minus 167. So this number has moved everywhere. I actually uh, – I'm sitting in a pretty nice position right now because I have Mac Jones plus 150, and I also have it not Mac Jones plus 200, nice. uh, which is a nice way to guarantee money because as long as there is a third pick in the NFL draft, I win, which is my okay. favorite way to bet. I think the bet is right now in terms of the valuable number is Trey Lance. I think, I think he's more likely to pick than Justin Fields right now, and at plus 450, I don't mind taking that. Um, it's one of those situations where if you want to bet the third overall pick, though – you have to understand that no one really knows that juice is moving towards Mac Jones, and we may there may be an opportunity where Schefter or Daniel Jeremiah or someone tweets out that like the 49ers have decided on X player, and you have about three or four minutes to bet it before the line completely jumps. Right, uh, right now, I wouldn't add much, but if I had to had to bet one strictly on the value, getting Trey Lance at four uh, four to one or better is, is something that I would consider.
3: That makes a lot of sense, to be honest. So for all our betters out there, maybe put some money on that. So, Elliot, though, we want to, um, want to ask you, can you walk us through some of your favorite draft prop bets right now and why they are your favorite?
2: Yeah, so one of the toughest things about this is the numbers are constantly moving and players are getting taken down. So I, I just want to kind of put that disclaimer out there that if someone listens to the show and then checks two days later, it's not that I'm making up numbers, it's that they're moving incredibly quickly. Um, one of my favorite bets right now is J.C. Horn under 13.5. and a half. Um, the, I've talked to multiple people uh, who think he could be the first defender off the board. That currently sits at any, it's anywhere between seven to one and ten to one because uh, it's, it's ultimately probably going to come down to him or Sertan. But he's only plus 200 to be the second corner drafted. But he's plus a uh, thousand to be the uh, sorry plus 200 to be the first corner drafted. But plus a thousand to be the first defender. Yet his over under is uh, lower than Mika Parsons, and it's lower than Pays. And his, his draft king's just put up that he's now favored over Parsons to go ahead of him. So uh, Horn is a guy that really interests me. I think Parsons is another guy that's going to really fall uh, in this draft. In terms of like a couple, um, I'll give you a couple other ones. Tevin Jenkins' number just came out at 26.5. Uh, that's a guy that has given up a sack in two years. Offensive linemen don't really fall. He's, I think, an incredibly valuable pick. You can still get Vera Tucker at 17-and-a-half, the under, at like one shot that's moved all the way to 14-and-a-half. Uh, I've been told his floor is 18 with the Dolphins, so it's a situation where I think he could go anywhere from as high as 11, though I don't think the Giants will take him, to um, the Chargers at 13, the, um, the Vikings at 14, the Raiders at 17, and teams potentially trading up like the Bears, Colts, or Jets ahead of the Dolphins to get one of the most uh, solid players in the draft. Um, One other long shot bet I like, and listen, we can talk. I have 60 of these things, so we can talk about literally (laughs) however many you want, um, is the Tennessee Titans' first pick defensive line. You're looking at a team that was 31st in pressure rate last year. You're looking at a team that was the fourth worst in sack rate. Yes, they added Bud Dupree, but they also lost to Davion Clowney. They could not generate pressure, and it just had their entire defense fall apart. So... Plus 800. That's eight to one for their first pick to be a defensive lineman. And their three most commonly mocked players are Jalen Phillips, Aziz Uljilari, and Gregory Rousseau. All three of those guys are defensive players. That makes up 37% or defensive lineman. All all three of those players make up 37% of their mock draft picks this offseason. So. I think that it's, it's, a, it's a good value bet. It's an implied 12% probability. I think it's probably got closer to 33 to 40% chance of happening. So I really like taking a couple shots on, on things like that. Yeah, I love
1: that, bringing the implied math into this, because that's, in my opinion, an easy way.
3: The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff.
1: to make some profit and to really be on the right side of these bets because obviously as everyone knows the goal of Vegas the goal of these books is not to the goal of these books is to get even money on both sides that's when they win so just keep that in mind they're not looking to beat you with these lines but I I think you stole a little bit of my thunder there Elliot because I did want to talk about last year I poured heavy my best bet was CJ Anderson I I'm sorry, C.J. Henderson, under 13.5, I got it at. It may have moved to 12.5, 11.5. He ended up going 9 to the Jaguars. My logic there was that there were really only two corners in that class that demonstrated that top-notch man coverage ability, and those assets don't fall outside of the top 10. I'm assuming you think there's a very similar logic at play here with J.C. Horn. So I would I would agree with you there. Horn's a great bet there. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this year's best bet for me, the one that I poured the heaviest into. Uh, I got it a couple of weeks ago, and it was, and it's actually it's dropped now. The numbers dropped to thirteen and a half. But when I got it, I got under fourteen and a half defensive players to be selected on day one. Now I was more confident then than I am now. I kind of feel like the back end of this draft there could be forced picks by these teams who don't really need offense and could force a defensive player. The way I looked at it then and now, to some extent, was that there really aren't fifteen prospects in this class. At the defense, uh, on the defensive side of the ball, who are worthy of a first-round pick, in my opinion. The, the, the top 32 picks in this class, just 15 aren't defenders. How do you feel about that one? Did I did
2: I screw that one up, Elliot? So, no, I don't think you screwed that up. I also don't think you screwed up calling C.J. Henderson, C.J. Anderson, uh, because that hit as well. I got him actually at plus 900 to be a top 10 pick last year. Oh, I love it. Uh, and because he opened all the way up at 18.5 and, and closed at 12.5. Um, but you're absolutely right on Horn, like – it's, it's a cover league, right? You have to cover people. And, and six-foot-one corners who run f- sub-4-4-40s four, four a 26% catch rate that are physical don't fall, right? Like, those are the guys that go. So I really like Horn uh, under and being able to kind of get that plus money. But with the defensive side, st- smooth transition to talk about corners like that don't fall. But there are only two of those corners in this draft, right? Fairley would be a third, but his back issues are incredibly concerning to teams. Um, there's – there's so many offensive players that are locked in, right? We have five uh, quarterbacks that are going to go in the first round. Right now, the, the even it's even money. I got it plus 120 for over six and a half offensive linemen. I think that's a really strong bet. So now we're up to 12 offensive players. We have four first-round lock in receivers. I think Bateman's a lock. Um, and it's over four and a half is, what, minus 200. So now we're up to, what, 17 offensive players, and one running back is minus two twenty five and then you add Kyle Pitts. now we're at nineteen offensive players um I'm pretty sure double check my math here, but thirty two minus nineteen is thirteen
1: <laughs> that's basically how I, I thought too
2: yeah like unless unless they are extending the first round, I don't know how it's going to go over fourteen and a half
1: yeah, that or unless we i mean I just can't see any of those quarterbacks, like you said, I guess offensive line is the one spot where you're like maybe something weird happens, and you only have three or four, but even then, it's so hard to imagine, like you said, Darasaw and Jenkins falling out of the first round.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just one of these situations where, like, Sewell, Slater um, are definitely going, what, top 11, top 12, right? Like, those guys aren't falling much further than that if you look at their odds. It's, it's six and a half and nine and a half. Barrett Tucker is as high as 14 and a half. Darasaw is as high as 15 and a half. Tevin Jenkins is as high as um, 25 and a half. Like, there's a lot of other offensive linemen that are fringe picks, and if you look at the most likely position for a majority of NFL teams to draft in terms of betting on it, it's offensive line. So there's also you know this this is this is less bad betting and more just analysis. There's only so many 300 pound athletic strong people who can play football on planet Earth, right? So you run out of those guys pretty quickly. Good offensive linemen them, tend not to fall in the draft.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, Elliot, I want to circle back to some of the uh, draft prop bets. Are there any prop bets you would advise the listeners to completely stay away from based on the context of the class,
2: betting trends, history, or anything that you can kind of glean from all the research that you do? Landing spot outside of a top ten, and I understand I said I took Devontae Smith as a valuable number, but, like, landing spot outside of top ten is, who is that hard? That's really hard. Like, when people will take, like, I'm just I'm just going to throw out random names, right? But like Greg Newsom to be the Jets pick at plus 400. Like it sounds great, but you're you're talking about a lot of dominoes that need to fall in your way to get landing spots that that deep. Right. So those you, those start sounding good, but I would much rather take like corner at plus 250 than Newsom at plus 400, for example. Yeah. Uh, exactly. I want with the with the draft you're trying to create as many outs as possible. Because there's a lot of dominoes that can fall that, like, even if you have very solid sources that X player is going eight, X player is going eight based on the assumption that, you know, logical things happen in front of them. All of a sudden one player, like Kyle Pitts is there at eight, everything goes to hell, right? I don't think he's going there, but I'm just trying to say, like, there are guys that randomly fall all the time that make everyone throw things out the window and creates havoc on draft day. So uh, having as many outs as possible, I think is an incredibly strong batting strategy. And on that note, is there a team or position that you
1: found most profitable or predictable to bet over the years in the draft?
2: Um, is there a team? It's a tough one because it's year to year. I yeah. think, I think certain teams' philosophies are something you can study and understand, like. Like Joe Douglas, for example, builds in the trenches so Jets' first pick offensive line plus 600 when they don't have any interior offensive line starters could make some sense, right? Like understanding what teams' philosophies are I think is really important. So, like, everyone will say Najee Harris to the Dolphins at 18 because he's commonly mocked there, but if you pay attention, they're so analytics-based that they probably won't view a running back worth taking in the first round outside of maybe trading from – say, 18 to 28, where they can pick up a lot of capital and say, all right, now we can bite that bullet. So I think paying attention to team trends, what coaches have done historically, makes is a is a very valuable thing, as well as what positions have the NFL really put trends on that they don't fall? And that goes back to the J.C. Horn thing or Jalen Phillips and Coiti Pay. Like, I got Phillips under 26 and a half. I got Pay under 18 and a half. Both have moved heavily in my favor. When you look at the last six drafts, the average second-edge defender goes pick seven. Like, <laughs> like, talented defensive linemen don't really fall to fringe first-round picks, right? So those are the kind of trends I really try, try to pay attention to. Does
3: it look like Phillips and Pay are, like, the consensus, too, according to the prop bets and, like, where they're land? Or does guys like Aziz Ojolari, are they kind of, like, close to them in terms of where, I guess, your community views that they will fall?
2: Yeah, Pay is right now minus 200. Phillips is plus 200 to be the first defensive lineman drafted. Um, Pay Pay's number has really come down from you know looked looked and thought of as a top 15 pick. Um, I think those are definitely the top two consensus. I think Phillips would be is considered the most talented, but comes with the biggest risk. Uh, Rousseau's number has dropped from 25 and a half to 30 and a half. So Drew Rosenhaus can tweet what he wants, but the betting market hasn't bought it. And Aziz Jalari is a pain because he's listed as a linebacker, but he's uh, on all these sports books, but he's actually listed as an edge on um, NFL.com, and they will uh, associate him with whatever position he's announced on draft day. And I'd give it about an 80% chance it's edge, right? Because, I mean, that's his position. I Technically, he could play off ball linebacker. Why you would draft him to do that, I don't necessarily know. But, like, that's that's the the missing piece is that all these first defensive linemen to go aren't actually including Ojolari. So it's, it's a little skewed, but it does seem like the betting market is saying it'll be Payer-Phillips. Yeah, that's really interesting. I have a question, just kind of an
1: overall question for you. Do you Have you adjusted how you're betting and how you're approaching betting this draft with these prop bets with so much less information that we have from having no combine to a lack of visits with the prospects? Because I think that's usually a way I always find how teams can kind of not really avoid leaking their interest in these players when they have these private visits. And then so many COVID opt-outs. Does any of that factor into your decision-making?
2: Um. I think one of the things that I continue to learn is uh, uh, embracing variance and understanding that, you know, you, you want to have as many outs as possible. I've noticed, I've said this a couple times, but I think it's really valuable. And, like, you don't want to be so rigid in thinking that, oh, this is definitely going to happen because then it impacts X, Y, and Z. And now all of a sudden you have four bets that are correlated to each other. And if you get that first one wrong, you take a big gulp, okay. right? Because uh, you're not even getting the parlay payout. So, um I think those are the kind of things that I want to pay most attention to is understanding that I can maximize value. And also sometimes this is a huge thing I'm in on is like, listen, I would love to make a unit on every bet, but if I can guarantee half a unit for no risk right now, let's just do it. You know what I mean? Because it's the NFL draft and there's a lot of variance. So I'm willing to accept profit and move out and buy out of certain bets and, and understand how certain things are to just constantly try to, build up how many units I'm up before the draft starts. Like, if if the most sensible things with the drafts happen right now, just based on the way I bet it, like Mac Jones under 18 and a half, um, Jamar Chase first receiver minus 155, that's now minus 900. Like, I'm starting at plus nine units. I have Zach Wilson minus 180 to be the Jets quarterback. Like, I've, I've just created such a nice base where it's allowed me to take more risks as well. Right? So if I lock in half a unit, now I can put half a unit on something that might be eight to one and, and really just build a nice base for myself. So that, that's that been my biggest strategy is not necessarily correlating all my over-under picks together and trying to lock in profit in as many ways as I can.
4: That's
3: smart. Smart. Uh, and You brought up Zach Wilson. We know you're a Jets fan, so can you
2: talk to us about the Zach Wilson potential decision? Yeah, I mean, it's going to be Zach Wilson, right? It's now minus five thousand um it might not be who I want but the Jets don't listen to me um
1: well we'll well, go into why you why you don't want Wilson I would say and who you would
2: take with that pick I would take Justin Fields I think he he's the higher ceiling prospect I think uh he does so many things well I know the biggest knock on him is his ability to work through progressions but analytics wouldn't necessarily agree with that maybe he could process uh faster but I just think there's so many things he does well Zach Wilson, kind of the one-year guy from a small school that can struggle some under pressure that bails clean pockets. Uh, some of that stuff really worries me. I think we're, we're chasing a little bit of the Patrick Mahomes, uh, improvise, throw off any platform, flick his wrist, go 60 yards. I mean, Wilson's arm talent is absurd. I think he's a lot more boom or bust than people uh, kind of credit him for. And I think we, we kind of look past certain flaws of his that we don't for other prospects, but uh, it's not like Wilson's not extremely talented. My biggest thing with the Jets was not whether they pick Fields or Wilson. It's whether or not they finally do something intelligent and draft a young yeah. quarterback then build around him. Right. Like, so many of these mocks have the Jets going edge and corner at 23 and 34. And I'm like, no one is blocking for this man. Yeah. Like, I, I don't care if the Jets give up 800 points a game next year. You're not winning any games anyway. You're not going anywhere, right? You're not a Super Bowl contender. You might as well just put as many resources into making Zach Wilson successful as possible.
1: Yeah. And going into that, I mean, part of the reason he was so successful in 2020 was, one, that he was healthy. People don't realize his 2019 film that everyone's starting to bash. He was playing her through a shoulder injury. And when he was finally healthy in the bowl game, he looked like his 2020 self. But also because they had a great offensive line at BYU. And that's most important, in my opinion, for all young quarterbacks. And it's specifically true for somebody like Zach Wilson. now. We will we will differ a little bit on this one, Elliot, and I know you're good friends with Scott Barrett, a buddy of ours who also agrees with me on this. We're both big-time big Zach Wilson fans, and to me, he's the clear number two quarterback in this class, and I know that all of the things you said are true. For me, the Justin Fields hesitation for me actually doesn't come from that kind of BS narrative about him going through his progression. I actually feel like just... The arm mechanics for him he's a little mechanical with the way he throws the football versus somebody like Wilson who in my mind could just throw so effortlessly and I think for me i've learned over the years that I'm starting to make my bets on arm talent over anything else and when I say arm talent i don't just mean arm strength I don't mean Jeff Hoa uh, not Jeff Hostler who's got Jeff George level arm strength I think some people kind of complain it the two, arm strength and arm talent. What I mean is the ability to throw from any arm angle, from any platform, the ability to change the touch on each pass depending on where you're throwing from, and just the unnecessary need for a clean pocket and for kind of to stay on schedule at all times. And for me, Zach Wilson has that in droves. I feel like I made this – I heard a lot of the same criticisms that I hear from heard Wilson, in my opinion, based on the film that I heard for Justin Herbert last year, that I heard for Patrick Mahomes a few years ago. And so to me, when I start to hear all those same things, I always come back to the same thing for me, which is the arm talent. You can't teach that. And if you get the right coaching with Wilson, which I think they might have of the floor, I really think I always said when I was breaking down Wilson a couple months ago, I did a draft profile on him, and I said the best fit for him would be Kyle Shanahan, that exact system. And I think the Jets will probably try to do something similar what Shanahan does with LaFleur. So I think it's a nice fit. But like you said, none of it matters if they don't get an offensive line. Well, the other thing is, yeah, go for
2: it. It's not not that I don't like Zach Wilson. I think that's one of the biggest things we get into too, right? Like you can think both guys are going to be great. I'm not saying, and all your points are very, very valid. I mean, Zach Wilson's arm talent is why he's going to get drafted second overall because he can do things that most human beings cannot do. Right? Like, that, yeah. that's kind of the point blank period. Uh, but if if they are going to block on the interior, which is probably where he struggled with pressure the most. Right. With, like, guys like Van Roten uh, and Alex Lewis and Connor yeah. McGovern, like, that's not going to go well. No. Right? Like, I, we've seen so many quarterbacks get killed early on, and it just rattles their confidence that I really hope that pick 23 and 34 are offensive linemen.
4: Yeah. Like,
2: I would, if I'm the Jets – and I have as much capital as I have these next couple years, I make a move to try to go get Barrett Tucker, perhaps to try to go uh, uh, to nope. make sure I get Tevin Jenkins, to, to try to get as many elite offensive linemen around him as possible, because as good as Becton might be and as big as he might be, he can't block four dudes at once, right? So, like, please, keep this man alive.
1: I, to- I totally get it, Ellie. We'll leave We'll leave it on this one. One last question. Do you have any tips or that you might have for fans of this show who want to get into sports betting. It's now legal on the apps in New Jersey, and that's where most of our fans are from. And also, it's coming soon to New York for those of you who are listening in from New York. Uh, so for these old, recently opened markets, just general betting tips um, for the NFL, for any sport, and maybe not necessarily for you know people who – not only for people who are just getting into it,
2: but people who have been doing it but not winning consistently enough. Yeah, I mean – I'm going to do a shameless plug to start and say I would head over to Uh because I think you know we have a lot of people with proven track records who will interact with you, educate you, entertain you, and uh, it'll be a, a great opportunity for you to learn a ton and, and, and start making some money. But um, beyond that, I think there's a couple really important tips. One is you want to have multiple books, at least two, probably three, because shopping for the best number is incredibly valuable. Um, two is you have to understand that the best betters in the world will hit between fifty five and sixty percent. So you are going to lose and it is a grind and it's over time, right? So like I like the Titans plus eight hundred. Doesn't mean I necessarily think it's going to hit. I just think it hits more than twelve percent. So if I hit, you know, one out of every seven bets that are plus eight hundred as opposed to one out of every eight, I'm I'm doing awesome. But you're gonna have to stick with a few of them, right? So like having patience, building a bank bankroll management is so huge. Your, your unit size should be 1% to 2% of your bankroll. So if you put 500 bucks in an account, do not be betting $200 a game. Mm-hmm. You're, you're just not giving yourself any sustainability. And then the biggest one, for the love of God, stop betting parlays. I understand that Bleacher Report gambling is tweeting them out all the time, and I understand that FanDuel and DraftKings is saying, this guy put $10 on something to win 27000 the odds are so heavily stacked against you, and there's a reason why DraftKings and FanDuel are constantly showing you those because they want them. You know, I this was uh, 2020 data, but you look at sports books across the country, or this, sorry, across the country. This is actually in New Jersey. They made about five percent or less per sport. They made thirteen percent on parlays. Wow. But you're trying to correlate uncorrelated events. It, it's a dangerous game. Um, same game parlays with FanDuel are a little bit different because you're telling a story, but the, the, the lottery ticket chasing, it seems like it's only 10 bucks here, 10 bucks there. Then you check two weeks later and you've lost 20 of them. Um, it it's you're, you're really chasing and saying, well, man, I was only one away, but you have to win all of them. So winning one, being one away doesn't mean technically you were close, but it really doesn't matter. It's, it's like close only matters. in hor- uh, what is it? Horseshoes and hand grenades. It doesn't really matter in parlays.
1: I think that's excellent advice, Elliot. And I think, it's so hard for for new bettors for new sports bettors to avoid playing these parlays. And I would group teasers in there as well, because teasers are also terrible bets. You should never be making as tempting as they seem because they seem so nice. You get to move two lines in an NFL game, but at the same time, like you said, you're betting on two uncorrelated events to work together with each other. And, Literally, you put out the numbers right there. Thirteen percent is a huge margin, like for these books. They're destroying people on these parlays and teasers, so avoid those. I want to get your your advice on two things though. One one bet that I'm going to keep making, Elliot. I want to hear if you think it's a good one before we sign off. The Chiefs are five to one to win the Super Bowl right now, or they were when I got it. In my mind, the Chiefs will win more than 1 out of every 5 of the next Super Bowls. So I put a hefty bet on that, and I'm going to continue to play that every single off-season until that number drops. How do you feel about that idea that betting on the Chiefs at plus 500 because they have a better chance to, they have a better chance to win or I, I'm sorry, I'm betting basically
2: that they'll win more than 1 of the next 5 Super Bowls. I like it. I like I like the logic as long as you'll continue to do it every year. Now, if they start going on runs, they're not going to get plus 500 every time. At the same time, you will have already cashed out and won and been up, right? Um, this team is so good. So good. Like, 12 is an absurd number, but there's 17 games. I don't know how they're losing six of them. Right. Uh, you get Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. Like, you're, they're going to make the playoffs, at which point they'll drop to plus 250, so you have a positive expected value. And you could hedge out guaranteeing profit basically every year as long as Patrick Mahomes doesn't get hurt. Um or something wild happens, right? Like you you're really talking this is like the Brady Patriots, basically. Yeah. Where they're they're gonna be in that championship game every year.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like you're on board with that. Anyone else who wants to jump in on that with me, let me know in the comments because I'm on board with that one. And, and and Elliot made a good point. I mean, if they go on runs, that number will drop, but there's gonna be years where But like Ellie said, even if that gets to that point, you've already profited. So that's good. And I got one more to throw at you and and see what your take is on this. This one actually comes from a man who is self-described as the best handicapper on the East Coast. And I can assure you that this man wins a disgusting amount of bets. I want to hear what you think about this. It's a recent tip he gave me. He would never let me put his name out there because he's deep in the nitty-gritty of sports gambling. And he'd be very disappointed if I did. So I won't drop his name. But – one thing that he says to always look for that you can beat the books on is live betting of unders and overs. You want to live bet them. So let's say a game starts out – This we, we, we won a lot on this in March Madness. So let's say a game starts out and it's there's not many points scored in the game. What you actually want to do is bet the under and not the over because the books – are not going to make a massive adjustment of the line because they don't want to provide a middle for the big better. So the big, the people who are coming in, you know, the sharps or the people who are the whales, the people making these big bets on overs and unders, they don't want to provide them a middle by changing the line too drastically. So it gives you an opportunity to live bet that over under that points total and kind of take advantage of the fact that the books don't want to provide this middle for the big sports betters. What do you think about that, Elliot?
2: Yeah, I think live betting can be an incredibly profitable um, approach. I think one thing that people get in trouble with is they continue to make the same live bet over and over again, and they end up having way too much riding on the same outcome. Um, But I think basketball especially, where anything like pace, I'm paying much more attention to the pace of the game for a total than I am the actual shots that they're making, uh, because I think that's going to be more predictive going forward. But in football, you know, you can get such a feel of the game watching it, uh, and under, especially when you understand it, that you can start to get a lot of different advantages. And I, I like your point that the books don't react enough sometimes, and sometimes on the opposite side, they react way too much. Like a favorite goes up and they score the first touchdown, right? And now instead of being six and a half, they're like 13 and a half. You're like, whoa, that's – you know, like we, we thought there was a decent chance they scored the first touchdown anyway. This is supposed to be like a high scoring game. You know, there's a lot of opportunities when live betting and a lot of books will hang out hang out bad numbers because their algorithms not watching the game. They're more so reacting to something and there there's like you like you said, security measures to not leave up too big of medals.
1: Yeah, I love it, Elliot. All right, man, thanks a lot for joining us again and for those of you who want more advice. On gambling, on it's not just gambling. They do everything over there, sports gambling, fantasy, even NFL analysis. Head over to FTN. The FTN network has a lot of talented uh, writers, editors over there, a couple I used to work with over at Pro Football Focus, Danny Kelly and Jeff Ratcliffe, so a lot of big names over there, but Elliot's probably my favorite. I mean, the work you do is incredible. I think everybody learned a lot from listening to you today, and obviously you can also follow Elliot on Twitter over at just at, at Elliot Chris. No underscores, no nothing. You'll find him there. He's built a nice little following over there for good reason. So, Elliot, thanks again for joining us, and we'll talk
2: to you soon, man.
4: Take care, Elliot. This
2: is a blast, guys. Thank you.
4: From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being.